Welcome to In Your Area. I'm your host, Brian Statt, the Provincial Practice Advisor here at Area. In today's episode, I have a super practical discussion about realtors and their taxes with John Pinsent, a founding partner of St. Arnaud Pinsent Stemmen Chartered Accountants in Edmonton. We discussed incorporation, self-employment, tax write-offs, and other common realtor questions that everyone would love to ask, but don't know exactly how. We hope you enjoy. Well, hello, everybody. We're back again with another episode, and today our guest is John Pinsent. John Pinsent is a founding partner of St. Arnaud Pinsent Stemmen Chartered Professional Accountants and has been practicing as an accountant for nearly 30 years. John provides accounting, assurance, and tax advisory services to a wide variety of businesses with a particular focus on early-stage, technology-focused companies. He's also an advisor to countless entrepreneurs, including many in the real estate industry. John is dedicated to giving back to the community by using his knowledge, network, and experience in serving many charities, including the Mutart Foundation, the Alberta Diabetes Foundation, Special Olympics Alberta, and Special Olympics Edmonton, for which he became a Queen's Diamond Jubilee recipient in 2012. Quite a resume, and I, I am so grateful to be uh, chatting with you today, John. That's a wealth of experience that we're hoping to draw on. So thanks so much for being our guest today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Seems like a lot of stuff, but it's been a long journey and a long career. So Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun too. So I think what I'm going to start out by doing here is just giving a brief introduction to the topic. And I think what we want to talk about, obviously tax time is upon us. Once again, they say that only two things are sure in life and that's death and taxes and, uh, and realtors are no exception. So we want to sort of focus a little bit on the on the way realtors manage their taxes and the different options that they have. And, you know, as a realtor, a lot of realtors are independent contractors and they just don't know who to talk to. So this is going to be obviously generalized advice, but these are the types of things that I had a question. I had questions about when, when I was a practicing realtor and we are going to hear from an expert today about that stuff. So it's realtors and taxes, but also some very generic type tax information as well. So let's just jump right into it here, John. Let's talk about, because I already mentioned a lot of realtors in Alberta are independent contractors. That's probably the vast majority of the way that they are identified by Canada Revenue Agency. So let's just talk about, are there tax benefits to being an independent contractor instead of an employee? Because that's quite a big difference for a lot of realtors when they come into the real estate industry from, from having a J-O-B out in the world. Yeah, I, I I think that's a, a fair assessment. At the end of the day, when you're on a T4 and you have, I would say, less ability to be able to deduct things, being an independent contractor certainly opens up the floodgate for additional grinding of expenses against that revenue that ultimately is, is going to be taxed. And uh, many independent contractors are sole proprietors, and so they're filing their taxes like everybody else in terms of the April 30th deadline with an extension through until the 15th of June. But many realtors also get involved in a corporate structure. And corporate structures also have some additional things that uh, can be beneficial, mostly related to tax deferral. Not, not so much that you're grinding out more expenses or you're reducing the overall taxes, but you open up the, the opportunity to be able to defer taxes. and 
in a world where you're paying tax, the longer you hold the money and the less time the government spends with it is often to your benefit. The system's designed for you to be agnostic, whether you're a sole proprietor, an independent contractor, or running a corporation. Under the Tax Act, it's designed so that you, you should be agnostic. But the reality is, is that with good advice and some good planning, you can grind out a better outcome. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's very valuable just to lay that out at the beginning. And a lot of times when I think about the way that that realtors are coming into the industry from another industry, and that's, you know, most of the time they're coming from some other industry where they were an employee, there's a big difference there. And the way that they think about those types of things, it's really going from having a job to running a business. And you make the differentiation between being a sole proprietor and, and being incorporated. And of course, when we're, when we're thinking of benefits of going you know, to be an independent contractor or, or, you know, call it self-employed, there also come with that some responsibilities as well. So there are benefits certainly, but there are also responsibilities. Can you, can you speak to some of those things? Yeah, a hundred percent. When you're running your own business, of course, you're required to deal with issues like GST and withholding taxes if you've got employees and you have to ensure that you are the one taking responsibility for putting aside installment payments and prepaying tax that could otherwise be payable. When you're an employee, of course, your employer is doing that all on your behalf. And so you don't have that responsibility. But when you're running your own business, it's up to you to maintain the records, ensure that you've got support for all the expenses that you're claiming, and to make sure that at the end of the day, you've actually kept good documentation to be able to support the position that you put forward to, to CRA. The name of the game is to take your top line revenue, grind out as much as you possibly can and pay the lowest possible taxes. In a corporate world, one of the things that's to your advantage is, is that you then get to decide when you're going to take your income into your hands personally. When you're an employee, whatever you earn gets taxed immediately at whatever your marginal tax rate is at that point in time. If you're running a corporation, you get to decide based on how much money you take out of the business when you're going to actually realize that money. So perfect example would be someone that's making $300,000 or more per year. On a T4 basis, you're in the top marginal bracket. So you're paying 46 to 48% tax rate immediate. If you took that into a corporate world and you as a family say only needed half that amount of money in any given year to, to survive, you can actually decide when you're going to take the balance of that money out over time. You use your corporation almost as a retirement vehicle. And you can also use your corporation as a, an investment vehicle to be able to continue to uh, reinvest the money that you've made. And, and so that is how people are able to, to defer the tax and to actually get some better outcomes. Long, long, you take that same example, if you took money uh, and built it up over time and then you stopped being a realtor and now you're just retired, you can decide how much you're gonna take out of your company as your pension over a period of time and you're gonna take that money out at a lower tax bracket, say something closer to 25 or 30%, as opposed to if you had been that same T4 employee at the front end, you paid 48%. And it's certainly better staying in your own bank account than in a bank account in Ottawa. <laughs> right. So 100%. one of the things I know when I was a broker, one of the things that I used to, I would sit down and coach my brand new agents. I teach them 
two of the biggest things that you have to consider is your commissions are taxable and I'm not doing remittance on your basis. Uh, so you are going to have to set aside taxes and be responsible if you can if you can manage that. But also GST, it's not your money. We're going to pay you GST on your commissions, but it's a remittance-based program. It's not your money. So don't spend your GST because Ottawa gets really cranky when you spend their money without asking. So set aside your GST. Make sure you're doing regular remittance or at least have it in a separate account where you can do an annual remittance depending on your on your income. And those are two big ones I know for brand new agents that are just, you know, it's it's shocking how many times they spend all their GST, spend all their income tax, and then the government sends them a, a bill at the end of the day. It's and it's a shocker for them. So now you spent some, you you sort of delved into what I wanted to talk about next, which is incorporation. I know there's always a lot of questions in the real estate industry as to, well, you know, I'm doing really well. And should I be incorporated? Should I not be incorporated? I've heard there's a lot of liability deferral, you know, it takes away some of my liability. And there's all these sort of I don't know if, if I call them myths necessarily, but rumors, let's say about being incorporated. So, you know, what should a realtor consider before becoming incorporated? Or maybe a different way of asking the question is what, what, what's the differentiation between why I would be incorporated and why I would be a sole prop in, instead? It's an excellent question and certainly one that we face in practice all the time. One of the things to keep in mind is that there's a certain level of activity where incorporation makes sense and a certain level where it doesn't. And, and the reason I say that is because there's compliance costs relative to having a, an incorporated company. You have to pay somebody to set it up. You have to pay your annual registration fee. You have to pay, as I say all the time, a schmuck like me to do your financial statements and your tax returns, T4s and T5s. There's a lot of, of things that happen within a corporation that are there are some costs involved. And again, if you take the position that government does, which is we're, you should be agnostic as to whether or not you're a sole proprietor or a, a corporation, um, from a big picture, they think that you should be. The reality is, is if you hit a certain magnitude of activity, we believe that it's more beneficial to you to have a corporate structure. To your point on the legal side, a corporation is a separate taxpayer. It's a separate legal entity. And it's hard for people who are suing you to pierce through that corporate veil to get at your personal assets. Now, most realtors don't have a whole lot of litigious exposure, but it is one way of protecting yourself over and above the insurance that you have in place. So there is this corporate veil. And then there is what we just talked about before, the opportunity for tax deferral. And there's also the opportunity, income splitting is, is not it's a bad word now in, in the tax regime. The biggest advantage that used to come along with incorporating was the opportunity to income split. In other words, you could have a non-active spouse or partner inside of a business and you could take your higher income, split it into two lower incomes at lower marginal tax brackets and, and push it out. That's not as uh, doable anymore unless your partner or spouse is really active in the business of running your corporation. And that means they've got to be involved more than 20 hours a week and they have to have expertise and you have to be paying them kind of market rate relative to that. But what I often talk to people about is if, if you're doing less than $100,000 a year in terms of gross activities, you're probably not going to want to go down the corporate structure path because you're still going to be able to grind out most of the things as a sole proprietor. 
that you would be able to get as a corporation and you're not going to have as much money that you're going to be deferring to be able to get the deferred tax benefit of having a corporate set. But when you get into the brass tax of what can I deduct and what can't I deduct, it's very similar on a sole proprietor side versus a corporate side of things. It's really about trying to make sure that there is, if there's money that's going to be available over an extended period of time because you're building profits in the corporation, then that structure gives you a better tax outcome. So, so basically, if I'm if I'm understanding you right, basically the sort of the watershed moment is if I am earning more than I need to live on. So my family is is consuming say $150,000 a year, but my real estate sales is 300,000 to use the example that you gave before. I have 150,000 that is going to be taxable income on a T4 if uh, if I'm just going to run as a sole prop. But if I dropped all that 300 in a in a corp, then 150 can stay behind and I can pay myself 150 to live as a family that extra 150 there's going to be a differential or a delta in the in the tax brackets between those two i'm going to save money on the on the personal side and corporate taxes is generally less than personal tax anyways is that am i hearing you right yep that that's correct like using that same 300,000 example if you don't take that last 150,000 at a higher marginal tax bracket let's say you saved 10% on your marginal tax bracket on that 150. Well, that's $15,000 worth of tax savings that you've realized by not taking that money today. If it costs you a couple of grand a year to run your corporation, then you've picked up $13,000 worth of tax benefit that you've now deferred out until you can take that money at a lower tax bracket at some point down the road. So yeah, that's the, that's the way in practice it ends up working. Yeah, and, and I appreciate you mentioning the cost because there are some costs in, involved in be, being incorporated. Um, those are those are output costs that you you know basically the they serve the benefit of gaining professional advice like from yourself, from a lawyer, in establishing the corporate structure and all those types of things. That that cash outlay is going to happen on a on an annual basis basically. So you have to be earning more than you need to live on, otherwise you're you're basically feeding the corporate monster for no for no tangible benefit. So so there does come that sort of while you're listening and watching what your business is doing, if you're on a general upward trend and it and it seems as though you're making more than you really need to live on, that's when you need to contact a, a professional accountant and say, hey, is this a good idea for me or not? Sort of thing, right? Correct. That's that's awesome. Now with incorporation, I don't want to spend a, a you know, the whole time on incorporation, but I know that it's always a big uh, issue with realtors. So with incorporation, there are some myths out there as well uh, that I've sort of stumbled across. You touched on one as well, their uh, income splitting that, you know, I'm going to pay my wife, I'm going to yeah. pay my, you know, uncle, I'm going to pay my four children, I'm going to make sure the dog has a pension plan, you know, all of these things, you think you're somehow going to be able to escape the tax man, but Al Capone wasn't able to do it. So probably you aren't either. Are there some other myths that you can think of outside of income splitting? Income splitting is definitely the biggest one that we we face in terms of uh, conversations with people. Uh, I, I think a lot of time there are other expenses that people feel that are magically corporate expenses that can be deducted that weren't available to them personally. And the thing I run into a lot is, you know, golf memberships. 
my membership at the local golf club, you know, I can just write it off inside of my corporation. Travel that's not business related, I can write that off. Meals and entertainment, the family's going out for dinner at the restaurants all the time, yada, yada, yada. Like, there's a lot of stuff that people think that you can, if you put it inside of a corporation, it magically becomes deductible. That's just not the case. The thing that we run up against a lot in practice is myth over reality. Uh, and the reason that I say that is if somebody is talking to another realtor or another person in their network who's been claiming their membership at their local golf course for years through their corporation and it's never been picked up by CRA, they assume that that means that it's actually allowable. When in fact, all it really means is that CRA hasn't caught it yet. They haven't right. been audited or they haven't gone through that exercise because you know, on that particular point of golf memberships, the Income Tax Act is crystal clear. Thou shall not deduct it. Um, now, there are other things that you can do around your golf membership that you can certainly deduct. If you host somebody, you can pay for their green fees. If you have somebody at the club for dinner, you can, uh, that's a business development piece, you can pay for that. But the membership is not deductible. And so when people have gotten away with things over a period of time, sometimes they think that that makes it, uh, it correlates it to being a fact that it is allowable, but it's just not. Yeah. And, and there are lots of those types of things that I, that I hear from people, you know, season tickets to the local hockey team or whatever, you know, stuff like that, that people say, oh no, if you had a corporation, you could just write all that off. The other thing that I run up against is, is this, the, the term write-off when we talk, when we're talking about write-offs. Yeah. They think it's like free money. So it's not until you've actually sat down with an account and you've talked through, you know, the the whole process of writing off. It's not free money. You're spending the money in order to get the benefit. If it's not, if you're not spending the money to generate, you know, future income or forward your business, right, you know, however you want to say that, you're still spending the money. So, yeah. And we'll probably talk about a couple of things like vehicles yeah. and health spending accounts and those kinds of things. But sometimes you actually, in spending the money, you're creating a taxable benefit that you actually have to put back onto your personal right. return. So, you know, not only have you spent it, but you've created a situation where DRA can get you a second time. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those situations where they're going to try and get you coming and going if they can. And that's why you need a professional to help you navigate the the, the legal route. The other thing that I was ju just popped into my head is, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to buy the, buy the family car in the corp and then lease it back to, you know, our, you know, child who just got their driver's license or whatever. Uh, that What's the benefit of that? I mean, it's just not a benefit anymore, right? So these creative well, schemes. Yeah. Again, the way that the Income Tax Act is written is it says you can deduct anything that is an expense related to the creation of revenue that we CRA can tax. But the reason that the Income Tax Act is a book, 892 pages long, is it then says except for. Yeah. And it goes through all of the things that are the exceptions to why uh, you can't include things. And in your case, for you know that ex exact example, there's nothing that that child is doing by driving that vehicle that's creating revenue that CRA can tax. So it's an easy thing for them to come in and say, well, there's, there's no correlation between expenditure and creation of revenue for tax purposes. And so it gets tossed out very quickly and very simply. 
Yeah, no, I, I, it's just funny how some of these things grow legs over time. And like you said, it's a, it's rumor mill and somebody said, oh, I've been doing it for years and, you know, I haven't, they've never said anything to me and all this kind of stuff. So it, it's good to get some of those things out on the table. Now, just going back to general, you know, as far as general independent contractors go, so uh, maybe we, it's easier to call them self-employed. What are the what are some of the most common mistakes that you see independent contractors making when it comes to their to their taxes? What are some of those common mistakes? I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of spending the money that you don't actually own. Hmm. That's the biggest one. GST for sure. Not making enough installment taxes against what you are expected to pay. I think the 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 factoring industry inside the realtor space loves those kinds of scenarios because they love the fact that they people need to be able to factor their current deal to be able to deal from a cash flow perspective with obligations that they weren't aware that they had. Yeah. But I would say the other big problem is failure to document, failure to capture receipts for the expenses that you're incurring, failure to capture uh, and log your mileage in support of the claims that you're making uh, in terms of the business's use of your personal automobile, failure to understand how home office expenses work in terms of the percentage of utilization a method that's in place that the government has for us to be able to claim home office expenses. So once you get a bit of an understanding about how the ebb and flows of those things go, you reduce your amount of exposures and you get a better outcome from your from your taxes. And then people, frankly, get nervous about filing and they stop filing and then they really compound the problem. Mm -hmm. They didn't know how to handle a certain situation. They maybe had a rental property inside of their sole proprietorship or they bought a property and they weren't sure how to deal with it or sold a property, not sure how to deal with it. So they stopped filing their taxes for a period of time. Well, if the government owes you money, that's not a problem. They don't care. But if you <laughs> owe them money, it's a problem because interest and penalties pile up very quickly. And most realtors, are creating taxable income and are going to owe money. Yeah, I, it's probably even a foolish question to ask, but do you ever see a situation where somebody comes in and doesn't know that they have certain things that they can write off um, as part of their business? Or is it generally the other way? They're trying to write off too much stuff or they're doing it in the, in the wrong way? I would say it's an equal balance. Oh, it is. Okay. There are a lot of people who really know what they're doing, not just realtors, but other business people who really know their business well and they drive hard and they have great outcomes, but they don't understand what it is that they're allowed to claim. Uh, mm -hmm. And so there's a bit of an edu education that goes on. And then once they're educated, they're very good about making sure that they capture those expenses and do things in a manner that helps them realize it. But for sure, there is a lot of the population out there that is pressing hard on trying to make sure that they are overclaiming wherever they can and pushing the outside of the envelope. And I say to people all the time, I'm always happy to push the envelope, but no one client is ever going to put me in a position where my, my practicing ticket is at risk because they want to claim something that I know is incorrect. And I think you'll find that with most practitioners is, is you know, they're, they're not going to go into the black area uh, just yeah. for you because you want to, to, to do something. We have an obligation professionally that 
if we're aware that it's illegal or you know is not a, a valid deduction that we don't include it on people's returns. Well, since we're on the topic of of write-offs or, or ITCs, however you want to put it, yep. um, let's talk about some no-gos, some some that you have seen over the years that people have tried to, you know, they bring in a, ba- a Safeway bag filled with receipts and say, these are all the things I want to write off. And it's, you know, there, there's, I could think of a couple off the top of my head, but I'm just curious if you have, if you've seen a couple of those over the years that are common. Yeah, it's very common in terms of what I would call excess value vehicles. People that have very high end value vehicles and they're trying to write off the full value of that through their corporate uh, structure. Theory has got some specific rules around the capping of how much you can write off for tax purposes on higher end vehicles. Um, sometimes you can get around that somewhat by leasing those vehicles as opposed to buying those vehicles. Uh, but there's still caps on how much you can uh, write off from a, a leasing perspective as well, too. Personal health benefits are a big area where people push the envelope, especially in a world reality where we are now, where people to get to the front of the line or to get procedures done end up having to pay a substantial amount of money for new hips, new knees, dental Mm -hmm. implants, plastic surgery, all of those considerations. A lot of people try to run those through their corporations. And at the end of the day, because of the personal benefit nature of them, DRA takes some objection. Meals and entertainment, again, you mentioned hockey tickets, golf memberships. A lot of people push the envelope heavily on that side of things, but they also have the right to be able to do business business development and to entertain their existing clients. And so if you're careful about how you document things and that you can show a line between that dinner that you had with Mary and Bob and the creation of a business opportunity for you, whether it was failed or, or successful, is an important piece of the puzzle. Yeah, for sure. I, and I know that I've, I've had questions when I was a broker from my agent saying, hey, it, you know, I, I like to wear nice suits. Can I write those off? Or, you know, my hair, I go for a haircut every, every week to make sure my hair looks just so because it's part of my brand. Can I write that off? Uh, my fingernails, uh, things like that. I, all of those type of personal services, that, that's a no-go, right? It, it's a no-go. And it's specifically designated as a no-go inside of that 892 pages of the Income Tax Act. <laughs> there are some industries where clothing is uh, allowable from a write-off perspective, but realtors, it's not. And there are some industries where personal hair and makeup and those kinds of things would be available for a write-off, but inside of the realty side of things, it's generally not. Yeah, we're we're just not, we're not in that, we're not in the glamour business, I guess. You gotta be pretty, but (laughs) it doesn't mean that CRA is gonna allow you to take a deduction for being so pretty. Yeah, that's right. So I'm glad we talked about that. Let's talk about let's talk about maybe just some some best practice advice. Uh, while I was thinking about this conversation that you and I were going to have, I I sort of thought about a few buckets that you know fall into issues that generally relate to the real estate industry and realtors have questions about. Just from my own experience, so I'll throw one out to you that's very common. And we already sort of touched on it, but I think maybe we'll go a little bit deeper. Cars, usually luxury cars. Realtors like luxury cars. Do you lease or do you buy? 
You mentioned the CCA or the capital cost allowance caps and things like that. What What's the best advice there? Do you lease or do you buy? I get that question from realtors, but also from other general business people all the time. The, the stock answer is it depends. From a deduction perspective, CRA is agnostic whether you own it or whether you lease it. And so often the real answer comes down to what gives you the best economic terms. Right. What's your best interest rate? What's your best cash flow? What's your best trade-in value or return value on your lease? So it's less actually a tax issue than it is an economics issue. Hmm. If you're if you're using that vehicle more than 90% of the time for business purposes and you're running a company, a corporate structure, then you can put that vehicle inside the company and there would be no personal benefit that would flow out to you. There's no T4 benefit that would flow out to you as the owner of the company. And then you can deduct registration, insurance, maintenance, gas, all of those things inside of the company. As soon as you get below 90% utilization, then there's this taxable benefit clause that kicks in and some of the value of that vehicle has to start to flow back onto your personal tax return. And I think that's where a lot of times realtors do get into trouble because they they have a company, they'll put the vehicle in the company, they'll put all those costs in the company, but at the end of the day, they forget to actually do a taxable benefit when it's a higher end use, a higher end dollar vehicle and a less than 90% used vehicle. And there's ways that you can stick handle around that. So if you've got a second vehicle yourself, or if you're a family and your spouse or partner has a second vehicle, then you can make a pretty good case that this vehicle, your Cadillac for real estate, realtor purposes, you know, is only for the purposes of generating revenues. But the business decision by lease is is really just that. It's a business decision. Okay. And you mentioned mileage logs. That's something that's that's very commonly misconstrued. I've heard before people say, well, you don't need it as long as you're only using it for business. And uh, if I do a mileage log, I only have to do it once every 10 years. And I've heard all these kinds of crazy stories. Can you crack that nut for me? No, I mean, if you get audited, CRA expects, has an expectation that you are going to be able to document exactly how much you use that vehicle for business purposes. Right. When you left your house, when you returned to your house, when you used it for uh, business purposes versus when you used it for doing your, your realty work. Uh, and so now, of course, there is all kinds of technological advancements that help you track all of that. You know, there's apps, there's things that you can put on your visor that click you in and out, and you can track that. And that's helpful in terms of proving to CRA how much you, you've used it. When people are using their personal vehicle, they do have the ability to be able to claim it if they're a sole proprietor by tracking their mileage and doing those kinds of things. But if they're using their personal vehicle and they have a company, they can charge the company for the business use of their personal asset, their car, at the prescribed per kilometer rates that CRA has put into place. The company gets the expense, so it reduces the company taxes, but the individual who receives the payment from the company doesn't have to include that on their personal tax return. So that's a win-win situation. Mm. But of course, you're capped by how much you can claim per kilometer, you know, related to the expense that the company is going to incur. So a lot of people do that. They'll they'll own it personally, especially if that vehicle is not as uh, a super expensive vehicle, something that's under, say, $45,000 or 
original cost. They'll charge mileage to the, their corporation and hold that asset personally. And then, of course, when they sell that vehicle, if there's a gain that's realized on the disposition of that vehicle, they hold that gain personally and there's no tax on that because it was a personal asset versus if they sold the car inside of the business, there's a capital gain and you have to pay tax on it inside of the corporation. Right. So, lots of nuances around vehicles, but there's some pretty standard um, pillar framework pieces that you, you want to follow as well. Well, realtors like their cars, that's for sure. The other thing that they really love is technology and technology has advanced in such a way that we are, as a society, willing to spend way more on on devices than we ever have been in the past. So this is this is probably becoming a big issue from a you know tax and business standpoint. And I guess the big question there is do you do you take something, say you buy a, a laptop for five thousand dollars, do you do the one-time write-off or do you do you depreciate it? I mean is there is there a magic formula there or you, you just need you know to consult best advice from an accountant? You have to look at every asset on a case by case basis. But one of the things that the government's actually been very good about as technology has advanced is allowing for accelerated depreciation, accelerated CCA around the writing off of technology. And so computers under a certain value can be written off 100% in the first year that you acquired. And that's basically government saying, we recognize that computers are now almost becoming a consumable. At the end of the day, they change so quickly that to write it off over an extended period of time doesn't make practical sense because the life of that asset is not as long. It's a similar view when it comes to phones. You know, an iPhone changes out every couple of years and at least a couple of times in terms of upgrades every year. And to stay ahead of the curve in terms of your competition in your space, you've got to be competitive in terms of how powerful your technology is. And so CRA actually has done a good job of recognizing that you should be allowed to write that off on an accelerated basis and they they let you do so. Well, that's, that's good information for sure. And the other one that, that I was thinking about that I know is like the Wild West is business use of home. I've seen every kind of crazy thing come from the business use of home over the years. Uh, I, and I'm sure you've seen an awful lot more than me. Any advice on using your home, your business use of home write-off for your taxes? Absolutely. It is, it is a Wild West because everybody takes a, a different approach on things. And it's made more complicated actually because of the pandemic, because CRA came out and said, under the pandemic rules, if you're working from home, we'll allow you to make a deduction to claim the fact that you working, were working from home during the pandemic, but then they capped it at $2 a day. <laughs> so $2 a day is nothing in terms of the <laughs> overall, even if you worked every day of the year at home, it's, you know, it's less than a thousand dollar deduction, which doesn't really give you a great economic advantage. The way that the act is written is it says you can take a proportionate amount of the expenses related to using your home for the creation of revenue. Again, that, that core concept at the beginning, you can deduct anything that helps create revenue that CRA can then tax. But they put a lot of rules around that. You have to use it regularly. So it's not a sporadic thing. I'm, I'm working uh, 
only from home on a certain amount of time. It has to be part of your permanent business activities. You have to be able to meet clients in your home in the space that you're you're talking about. So uh, you know, people were trying to claim multiple bedrooms and workout areas and all kinds of other space as part of the, the calculation that I'll walk you through in a minute, but you're not regularly meeting clients in those spaces. And if you never meet a, a client in your home, that's one of the ways that CRA can sometimes get you. The first question they'll ask you is they'll say, hey, you know, when was the last time you met a client here in this lovely office that you have set up in your home and are claiming as a home office? And if you say never, it's an immediate, eh, gotcha. <laughs> We're not going to let you claim anything. So you, you have to understand kind of the rules of the game rel relative to that. But the way it's supposed to work, Brian, is that at the end of the day, they say it's all on a percentage basis. So if you have a thousand square foot home and you're using a hundred square foot office to be your home office, you can deduct 10% of all of the costs of operating your home as a home office expense. That means 10% of your mortgage, 10% of your property taxes, 10% of your utilities, 10% of your Shaw Cable or your TELUS or whoever your provider is. It's everything related to the operating of the home, not 10% of your meals or 10% of other kind of personal related activities, clothing, that kind of thing, but 10% of the operational uh, costs. And so it's important, just like with mileage, that people track, A, how much space they're using for a home office, and B, what are all of those costs that are being incurred? Mm. Again, the folklore often is people say, well, my advisor is just having me claim $500 a month as a reasonable estimate of a home office expense because that's a reasonable amount that I would have to spend if I was sharing some co-office space with other realtors. That argument doesn't fly very well with CRA. Uh, you'd have to go through a lot of hoops and loops to kind of justify that that is in fact a reasonable estimate of what that rent would have been on co-located space. So the better route is track it all, keep the receipts, have a line of sight, know how much space you're using, and then claim it consistently year over year. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Like I say, I've heard all kinds of things like, you know, my home office is in the back of my in the back of my house, and I need the, all the square footage of the hallway to get to my home office. Plus, I park my car in the garage, so half of the garage is also calculated in the square footage, and you know, all these kinds of things. And I think there there's always going to be a reasonable reasonableness test. Uh, that CRA is going to apply, right? The agent would say, are you meeting your clients in your hallway? Yeah. Are you meeting your clients in your garage? Yeah. No, no, then no deduction. Totally. Yeah. And I think we, we talked about the, uh, the next one a little bit already, the health expenses and, and health benefits, like those types of things. And, and I don't mean so much necessarily like legitimate medical expenses. That's fairly well codified. But when we're talking about things like physiotherapy, uh, chiropractic, massage therapy, you know, putting, you know, cosmetic 
veneers on my teeth or all these kinds of things like those type of things you know how much of that is actually is actually a write-off it and i don't mean necessarily from a corporate standpoint because i recognize there's some structures you could do around group plans and things but just in general as an independent contractor what are your options there it doesn't really as an independent contractor it doesn't really become part of your realty business that you're going to report it really becomes part of your personal tax return and of course uh, CRA allows you to get a deduction for everything over 3% of your net income. So if you're making $100,000 a year, 3%, everything over $3,000 that you pay for those kinds of activities is going to be allowable. So it actually runs through your personal tax return and gets gets you the benefit at your personal marginal tax rate. But your reference to um, health spending accounts and other group ac uh, account situations is valid because that's the way a lot of people now find a way to get more of those expenses into their into their deductions around pre-tax income. They'll, they'll drive up their HSA activities and have those expenses paid before they're actually being taxed personally. And there's a cost, right? Every HSA charges you 10%, 5% of the transactional activities. Every group account benefit account has premiums that you have to pay. But there are some mechanisms to be able to enhance the amount of deductions you get from health-related activities. And if at the end of the day you don't use any of those mechanisms, you can use it on your personal taxes using the 3% threshold. Well, that's great. So I, all of those things are, are just so practical and so, so quality when we're talking about just the best practices that, that realtors need to be thinking about. And I know those are the common ones that, that come to my mind. I, are there any others that you can think of that, that pop into your mind? You know, I think we've talked about most of them. The, the one area that we haven't talked about is this is a concern, I think, for a lot of practitioners and should be a concern for realtor professionals. And that's this underused housing tax situation that the government has now announced um, and that people are going to have to be cognizant of. It basically says to all of us, if you have a property that is not currently being lived in or rented that you must report that property to the federal government in a prescribed form by april 30th of 2023 the tricky part is is that they actually haven't created the prescribed form yet so nobody knows what that form is going to look like nobody knows what that is going to have on that form but it puts the onus on all of us collectively uh, to be in a reporting mode and the penalties for non-reporting of that are significant. It's $5,000 per incident if you're an individual or a sole proprietor and $10,000 per incident if you're a corporation. And of course they're driving at trying to get people who are non-residents who own property to disclose the fact that that property is currently underutilized or not being used at all. And it's just being held for pure speculative purposes. But all of your members are going to be aware of situations where people do have property 
that may not be currently utilized and may meet the reporting requirements and they themselves may be investors in properties that they're holding for capital gains purposes. And you can sure chew up a lot of the benefit of that capital gain if you get caught by this new rule and this new form. Uh, and so well, you, we really are recommending that realtors be, you know, spend some time paying careful attention to how this is going to evolve, and especially on this upcoming tax filing, make sure they're asking their their advisors uh, whether or not they feel that they have any exposure, and if they do, make sure that the form is being filed. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, the the under the underused housing uh, tax or the UHT, I think, is being assigned to it. Um, it's definitely something that pe- it needs to be on people's radar, and I think it's. It's almost at this point, it's almost you need to know about it and you need to seek expert advice, but there's not really much that we can do at this point because I don't think they've they've really added meat to those bones yet, have they? No, and I don't think that there's any opportunity to try and have a change in direction. Like this is something that they are hell-bent on doing and making sure that it moves forward. So this isn't a negotiation. It's not in kind of the draft stage. It's legislation, and they're going to come with it. So we just have to be ready to react to it. So uh, thing one, talk to your member of parliament. Thing two, (laughs) talk to your professional accountant and find out if this is going to apply to you. And if it does, then seek some advice on exactly how you're going to do that. So, and, And I think based on all the things that we talked about today, and I am so appreciative of your experience and and your very practical manner, John, just the way that you handle these these items. I don't I don't want any of our listeners to think this counts as accounting advice. This these are we're trying to raise flags so that you know the questions that you should be asking because the worst pl- position to be in is to not know what you don't know. At least now you know what you don't know. Go talk to a professional accountant and have them give you some some real true professional advice. So I sure I'm appreciative of this conversation and and this has been a lot of fun for me. Uh, John, do you have any final words of wisdom for realtors going into tax time? No, I, I think that's it. I mean, at the end of the day, we appreciate the opportunity to share whatever wisdom that we have, but everybody's circumstances are unique and personal. And so it is important for you to spend time talking about those unique personal circumstances with with an advisor. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks again for your time, John. This has been a lot of fun for me. And I, it sounds like you certainly enjoy the, the topic. So that's great. I appreciate it. Thanks again. I do. Thanks very much. Thanks again, John, for sharing your time and experience with us as we head into another tax season. If you found this podcast helpful, be sure to share it with friends and colleagues who could also benefit from these very practical episodes. For additional real estate practice information, check out our blog called Practically Speaking, which can be found on our website, albertarealtor.ca. And we look forward to seeing you next time we are in your area.